Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Well, we're going to go to God's Word now. Would you pull out your Bibles and turn to John 12? And today is Palm Sunday. We've been catching flavors of that, glimpses of that. And uh, it begins today, Holy Week, Semana Santa. In some parts of the world, big things are happening as we go into this most important week. And Palm Sunday kind of launches that. And I invite you to pray again as we go to the Word. Father, thank you so very much for the gift of your Word as we now look at this great story of you coming into Jerusalem as a king. Pray that you would be powerfully present here by your Spirit and the truth of your Word. Find a place in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So this, is, this story is in all four Gospels. We're going to look at it as it's uh, um, told in John 12. And we will start in verse 12. The next day the crowd that had come for the festival, Passover that is, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed, he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's throne. Some 400 years before these words were penned. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, it is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So I've been wondering about this great event. This is likely not your first Palm Sunday. You kind of know this story. A lot of times we have kids come with palm branches and such. And I've just been thinking about what would Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry, look like in today's day? Like 2019. Like replay it in such a way that is current to our Time. I mean, think about, for example, when the Pope comes to town. I mean, I had that opportunity to see that in the 80s in, uh, in Guatemala. The Pope John Paul came and just the lines and just the, the fan, I mean, just the excitement, of course, in that country. Susan was able to see uh, the Pope in New York City. So, you know, I mean, again, lined up streets. I mean, think about that. Picture that in your mind. Or picture in your mind like the celebration after a, a World Series like the Giants have done, you know? Three times. <laughs> I'm sorry, just for my daughter friends there. So think about that. And then as you think about that, now compress it. Now compress it. Because it's not big wide streets. The cities of just think more in terms like it's your hallway at school and then just packed and crowded with people and fanfare and noise and hosanna. And then here comes Jesus on the colt. It struck me this week that in many ways that kind of compression, just in one, one event, in many ways this whole event compresses the human response to the person and teaching and claims of Jesus. 
It indeed, everything that's going to happen this week is evidence that demands a verdict, a book that Josh McDowell wrote. And I think there's another one now, more evidence that demands a verdict. All of this is happening just doesn't allow us to go, oh, wow, that happened. No, it demands us to, to, to understand and ask and wrestle with what, what is Jesus saying? What is going on here? And what's my personal response to that? Well, of course, these days, we would all have our phones out. We would be doing selfies with Jesus going by, right? I mean, it would all be about phones. It's all about social, and we post it. And so we asked, here are some things that people would post. Of course, Hosanna, hashtag Hosanna. This guy's going places, right? Making Jerusalem great again. I like that one. King on a donkey. Romans go home. See, many people said this wasn't so clear of what was going on and why people were there and the motivation. For many, there was just this idea like, this is our chance. Let's rally around Jesus and get these Romans out of here. I want free fish. Right? They'd heard about this. Like, hey, this is like, you know, parades. They throw stuff, right? And so candy and stuff. Well, maybe they're going to throw some free bread and fish or something. Who knows? The Pharisees are frowning. Okay? When, when people, like, this wasn't lost on the people there. They, they saw that this was not, not being received well. He's, he's kind of a big deal. Hashtag, he's kind of a big deal. Real heroes ride donkeys. A few more. Hashtag divine donkey. <laughs> Hashtag Jesus 2020. Hope on hooves. <laughs> donkey, donkey king. Yeah. Join Jesus. Hashtag join Jesus. Even donkeys serve the king. <laughs> oh, So those were some of the responses that I got. Like if it happened today, what were some of the hashtags? And these were people sent in to me. I love it. Because you know, again, that it would, would be, again, that's kind of how we do life. And today is similar to that day in the sense, in the crowd today, maybe even in this room today, we have three different people, the three different types of people, similar to that day. There are going to be fans of Jesus on that day. And there are going to be foes of Jesus that day. And there are followers of Jesus today. And so that's the title this morning. Are you a fan, a a foe, or a follower of Jesus? So let's look at at it through uh, Jesus' eyes. He's riding on a donkey. And he's like, it's compressed, people everywhere. And as he looks out, yeah, he sees fans. I mean, people are throwing coats on the... the, um, on the path in front of them and the palms and the branches and such. And, you know, they're yelling out Hosanna. And they, you know, they, they just, you know, they don't know why necessarily. Maybe it's just to get the Romans out. But they're fans of Jesus. They're kind of liking this. And they're, they don't necessarily care for the Pharisees so much. So even kind of like seeing them be upset. But they're, but they're fans. And Jesus sees this. He, he knows people's hearts. He, he just sees these guys are, are fans. He sees this frequently and will comment on it. Even some of the Pharisees who kind of follow him, he would say, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, this is a fan. Our head, yes, our hearts surrendered, no way. 
We have a knowledge of Jesus. We know about Jesus, but there's no intimacy with him. That's a fan. When Jesus looks, he sees foes. Of course he sees Pharisees where he just knows, these guys want to kill me. And alongside of him is Judas, one of his own, who, despite being with him and seeing everything and hearing everything, is is a foe of Jesus. He knows. And he knows that this is a showdown like no others. As he comes in and people are selling, he knows that this is a showdown between himself and those foes, especially the devil, our greatest enemy. Number three, he sees followers. He looks around as he sees, and he knows those who have given their hearts that love him. You know, they're not perfect, but they, but they love him, and they want to follow him, and they've made that kind of declaration. And he knows it won't be long, and they will be scattered because of persecution. But with the infilling of the Holy Spirit that he's going to send, uh, instead of withering in the heat of opposition, it will only forge a pure, stronger faith in Jesus, spreading the gospel throughout Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, including this morning, on this beautiful Sunday in April, Tulare, California. But he doesn't just see a crowd. Surely there are people that he catches eye with as he's going down. He's kind of up a little bit higher and he sees there and he catches, makes eye contact. And I'm just so intrigued about that. As he makes eye, eye contact, I wonder who he sees. I wonder who has made the trip to Jerusalem for this Passover and who's had interaction with Jesus before and now he's there, there, there as well. And he catches eyes with him. And I would love this morning that you and I would catch the eye of Jesus this morning, that we would see him a little more clearly and we would sense what he is saying to us. And as he makes eye contact, just the memories go through his head of his interaction with them. These would be the stories within the story of the triumphal entry. And as he smells the scent on his own body from the pure nard, this expensive perfume that Mary the day before has poured on him with her tears and with her hair, he remembers another time. And maybe, maybe in the crowd as he's going by, he catches Simon, Simon the Pharisee from Luke 7. Simon was enough of a fan to invite Jesus to his house, but he was no follower for sure and perhaps a foe. We have that story recorded for us in Luke 7, where he invites Jesus and just totally ignores him, totally disrespects him when he comes in. And then in comes a woman. I wonder if she is there alongside the road as well. You know how it goes. He's totally disrespected by his uh, host. But Mary comes in despite the stares and and she, she weeps pulls her hair down this incredibly um, sign of intimacy. Again, it would be grounds for divorce. She never did that with anyone else. And wiped Jesus' feet. She She looks at his feet and sees that they're dirty and then pours the perfume. Again, I wonder if they're in the crowd. In verse 44, we have this this part of the story. He says, Then he turned toward the woman. 
and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put on my head, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have forgiven, and her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I wonder if she's in the crowd. What did she hear that day when she was with Jesus? She heard a message, perhaps, of forgiveness. God loves me. God loves me. And wants to forgive me. She heard a story of redemption that day. God can take the broken pieces of my life and put them back together. I mean, isn't that really what we want our dear daughters and children of Tulare County to hear when they go to the care pregnancy center? I mean, you and I didn't talk at all about what you were going to say or what I was going to say. But this is what this woman heard. This woman heard what these girls are going to hear in Tulare at the Care Pregnancy Center. See, Jesus looked at her so differently than any other man of that day. And as he looks at her now along the parade route, if she is there, he sees a difference in her. She's beginning to live into the reality that she's a beloved daughter of the king. She is of priceless value and worth. She's no fan of Jesus. She is a follower. The tears flow now, I'm sure, as she sees him because she remembers. I wonder, again, as Jesus looks into her life and her eyes and others along who he's done something, I wonder if he is emotional as well. Who are you most like in this story? I wonder if Simon's heart was softened by his encounter with Jesus as he stands along the parade route, if he's made his way for that day. I wonder if his heart is softer now, if he's yielded to Jesus, or if he has gone further in his anger and his hatred and his being a foe of Jesus. And he will be maybe one of those later who are saying, crucify him. Or maybe even now saying, Jesus, tell these people to be quiet. To which Jesus says, hey, if these people don't worship me, the stones are going to do it. Well, from atop the cult, Jesus again sees individuals, but he also sees the large crowd. And he is never going to accept in you or me or in his people kind of this fandom And I find it so easy for us in the church to kind of fall back into fandom as as opposed to this intimate follower, this interaction with Jesus. Jesus maybe remembers as he's looking at all these people something of another time when there were large crowds. This recorded for us in Luke 14 where he's saying, hey, there's a cost to be a disciple. In verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes 
to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I mean, oh my goodness, who says these kind of things? Jesus did. He, he will not accept that. And in a church like this, where family is so important, it's such a beautiful gift. We have to hear this again. This Holy Week, this Semana Santa, that it would refine us again, that in comparison, that Jesus won't have another. It's not about fandom. It's about being a follower, that no one is more important to us than Jesus Christ. It is the cost of being a disciple. Jesus would do this often. When crowds were around, when so many people were around, it seems he would say things that like people were just like, no, you don't. If you want a lot of people, if you want the crowd, you have to kind of don't say things like this, Jesus. So, for example, in John 6, we have another example where there are large crowds like there is today. And he, he says this, you know, uh, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat my flesh, the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood. You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. I mean, he's saying this to them. And then in verse 26, we have this. From, many, from this time, many of his disciples turned and no longer followed him. Like they had something else in their mind, but this cost, this, this was too much. And he asks his own disciples, do you want to leave me too? Jesus asked the twelve. And then Simon Peter made this answer. And I wonder if you answer this as well. He said to the Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe, to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, when Jesus looks at the crowds, he's seen fans, foes, and his followers. What do you see when you're alongside the road now and you look at Jesus in this, this beginning of the Passion, the Holy Week uh, we call Easter? Who do we see? And what we believe is we see God. Up on that colt, that's God. But it's not God coming as this conquering king. He's, who is this? He's a God. We see a God in the New Testament that is... That, that's going to suffer crucifixion. He's a supreme being with spit on his face. God relates with us in intimacy and friendship. And he knows, he knows our life. Because over this next week, he's going to know rejection. From acclamation to cries of rejection where people are going to say, Hosanna, and then they're going to say, crucify him. God who knows what it feels like when friends don't come through for you. He's going to experience this in this week. Couldn't you just stay awake with me for, for an hour? Couldn't you just stay awake with me? Just this need for his friends to be alongside of him. He's a God who knows pain. And he's a God who knows betrayal for money of all things. See, we see a suffering servant. And when we see him, we can see our lives, the brokenness of our own lives, the, the, the slip-ups, the falls in our own life, and the pain in our own life. And now we can now say 
as Brennan Manning says, when, I, when we come up against our own brokenness, our own frailty, we may want to run away into drinking and drugging or sexual license. When we want to flee into fantasy or self-pity, there lies the option of acceptance of the cross of Jesus Christ and the possibility of salvation and growth for ourselves and for others. We can say to God, he continues, of the dark journey, for what it's worth, here it is, God. Take it and use it. Use it for the hungry, the homeless, the lonely, for the man down the road who's lost both his job and his wife, for the friend whose little girl has been killed. Use it. Use my brokenness. Use my weakness. Use it for me to understand, to be left less self-centered and more loving. Oh, this morning, are you a fan or you are a follower? Have you given everything of your life, even the broken parts, even the, the, the challenges? And as he's looking to you this morning, are you catching his eye? Perhaps an honest diagnosis as we begin Holy Week. How do I know? How do I know if I've slipped into fandom? Or am I a follower? Here's some questions that may help. One is in regard to, is it just about a decision or is it a commitment? The question is, have you made a decision for Jesus or have you committed to follow Jesus? Most of us don't mind um, making Jesus, or we don't mind Jesus making some minor changes in our lives, but Jesus wants to turn our lives upside down. Fans don't mind him doing a little touch-up work, but Jesus wants complete renovation. The second question revolves around knowledge about him or intimacy with him. Do you just know about Jesus or do you really know him? And remember that the word know here that the Bible uses is the same word that the Bible uses that Adam knew Eve. It's that kind of knowing, that kind of intimacy, being fully known. A third question is, is Jesus one of many or is he your one and only well, that's a hard question to answer. What do you mean by that? Is Jesus my, is one of many or is he my one and only? Some follow-up questions. For what do you sacrifice your money? When you're hurt, where do you go for comfort? What disappoints or frustrates you the most? What really gets you excited? The fourth question is, are you more focused on the outside or the inside? Again, this drove Jesus crazy in his life here, to the point where he would say, like, you guys, Pharisees, you you look good on the outside, but on the inside, dead bones. Well, how would we know that? Well, some other questions. Do we like to choose rules over the relationship, choose law over love, guilt over grace? And finally, this last question, are you self-empowered, a self-empowered fan or a spirit-filled follower? Where does your strength come from? As Jesus looks at us, and we catch his eye this morning as he comes in on the cold, these are good questions at the beginning of this Holy Week. I know it's busy. There's all kinds of fun things and exciting things happening, but this is one of those weeks when we hold up our lives to the reality of this truth and the heat and the passion of the events of this week will burn and refine those things in our life that ought not be there and 
again, clarify our relationship and our followership of Jesus. Kyle Eidelman wrote a book, Not a Fan. And he put it out on his Facebook. He said, finish this statement for me. By the power of the Holy Spirit, dot, dot, dot. If someone said that to you, you had notes with you. And by the way, we, we provide cards back there if you want to grab them at any point. If I had you write, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, finish that sentence. What would you say when you remember today, when you catch eyes with Jesus and you remember your interaction with him? What could you say by the power of the Holy Spirit has happened for you? He got these responses on his Facebook. I finally forgave my dad. I lost 150 pounds and quit smoking. I've given my ex-husband, I have forgiven my ex-husband for his infidelity. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we have adopted two boys from Ethiopia. There are all kinds of them about overcoming drug addiction, gambling, sex, shopping addiction. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I overcame my eating disorder. I'm able to raise my special needs child, even as a single mom. My marriage was saved. We conceived after being told would never happen. My child returned home after three years of silence. I found peace when my husband passed away, and I, even though I thought my life was over, I remarried my ex-husband after a long, nasty divorce. These were responses he got. I wonder what response you would give today as you remember again as the donkey goes by and you see Jesus up there and you think about your interaction with him and how he's entered in your life and how you've entered into his life now. What would you say? And as you and I stand along the prayer route of the triumphal entry and Jesus passes by our way and you catch his eye, And you remember, may the passion of this week, the intensity of his suffering and love, burn off the layers of fandom in our life. And I'm calling us this week to renew a commitment to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He was faithful then and he is faithful now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus For just a moment in the silence of this place, we want to see you go by us. We want to catch your eye, Lord. We want to catch your eye and want you to catch our eye, but not just our eyes, our heart and our lives. Forgive us for fandom. Forgive us for being your foe. Lord, again, we come to you as those who need a Savior. And we want to follow you. We want to be your hands, your feet, your love in this community, in our lives. To that end, I pray that your spirit would indwell us, empower us. Again, we can't do it on our own, Lord. We need you. Father, you're faithful, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.